1: What? <laughs> with us like the past the movie never changes it can't change but every time you see it it seems different because you're different you, you, you see different things if you can't change anything because it's already happened you may as well smell the flowers
0: Hello, welcome to Rewatchability. It's the podcast where we revisit movies and TV shows of the past to see how they hold up today. I'm J.M. McNabb, and I'm joined as always by... Blaine Waters. And... Still Robert laronde <laughs> And we're back. We talked uh, last week about what we'd be doing this week, and of course the movie we arrived at was 12 Monkeys. Yeah. The 1995 Terry Gilliam movie about... Uh, what so much <laughs>
2: that's if the end of the world hasn't happened between last week and this week that's
0: true uh, we're doing this partly inspired by the real life viral emergency that's you know I guess our children will be like putting on the rubber suits with Christmas lights in it and yeah trying to piece together what happened
2: let's be honest this is probably being listened to by somebody who's been sent from the future <laughs> or you know sure. at least to the surface <laughs> oh
0: shit they're gonna think that we did it
2: <laughs> we did not do it though maybe in a roundabout way we did humanity in general yeah
0: (laughs) of course yeah 12 monkeys you know big famous movie we hope with this new format that you watched it along with us and are and are ready to to get into the nitty-gritty of Mm -hmm. it before we get into that i do want to say you can go to patreon.com slash rewatchability and kick in a few bucks a month and Mm -hmm. Thanks so much to everybody that that does that it helps keep the show going it helps keep Rob in the underground bunker in That's which right. goes between episodes <laughs>
3: Keeping you in cans of beans? Yeah. That's
2: right. Yeah, that's yeah. Good.
0: It's your turn to hose them off after the show. <laughs> okay, though.
2: that's great. I thought I had things to do, but... Make sure you use that extra hot water.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there is so much to talk about with 12 Monkeys. Mm-hmm. Even just now when I said it's a movie about... My brain froze up because the words like time travel and plague and, you know, environmental Fate, terrorism. Destiny. yeah Naked Bruce Willis, you know, so many things. There's a few bums in this, <laughs> and I don't I don't mean the homeless that's gentleman. That's pejorative. I, I mean, like, literally bear bums from, yeah. from famous from We get to see history. the sexiest ass of
2: 1995. That's true.
0: <laughs> Take that, Captain America. Yes. <laughs> There's so much to talk about. So let's get right into the rundown. Okay. Rob, what happens in 12 Monkeys?
2: So 12 Monkeys, it starts in 1996, which is the future, believe it or not, <laughs> because this was... Filmed
0: in the past. Wait, does it start in 1996?
2: Well, it tells us that in 1996 there was this big old plague and humanity was almost entirely wiped out and all the survivors had to go underground. Mm. That's what we're told at the beginning of the movie. And the next thing that we see is like a flashback. We see this scene of this man running through an airport and he seems like he's chasing somebody, but he gets shot. And then we see that this is being watched by a little boy. And then we see that it's being remembered by Bruce Willis, who is like some sort of prisoner in this underground society.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And he is he's essentially like voluntold. To, <laughs> to go on this uh, mission to the surface where everything has been devastated. Like, there's no human life up there. The animals are roaming free. He sees, like, a lion
3: on a bank. Yeah, sorry, how is this lion surviving in the winter in Philadelphia? That's what Shut I up, Blaine. Know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't know what sort of alpha species could
2: thrive when there is a void in an apex predator. Right, but they, they have no... no- Food stock. What are they eating? Cats? Dead humans. <laughs> Dead
3: humans, maybe.
0: Yeah, he's probably right.
2: <laughs> That's, if you die and your cats are there, you know what's happening. <laughs> true, true, true. Yeah. But so he does so well at this mission, he collects enough bugs that they voluntold him to go on another mission, a bigger mission. Mm-hmm. And we don't quite know what it is. But the next thing is, is he sort of is arrested in the past. Which is 1996, and
3: we meet Madeline
2: Stowe, the psychiatrist. Yeah, that's right. She's playing this woman named Catherine mm-hmm. Rayleigh, and she, you know, she's there to help this guy because he's he's so confused. He doesn't know what time it is. He says that he's from the future, and so when somebody says they're on the future or they're Jesus Christ, they send for her.
0: Has it? <laughs> hasn't she ever seen a movie before? Like usually, <laughs> when someone says they're from the future, they're right. Yeah, exactly. That's what every you know, movie ever yeah, made. That's why I believe all those guys on YouTube that <laughs> <laughs> are telling us what's up. I I got to say I love Madeline Stowe. She's great. Uh, she is great.
3: I haven't seen her in much else. I, yeah, I looked
2: her up because I didn't recognize her from anything else. What? It, because the blonde or <laughs> that's <Okay>. right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just changed her hair color. It's So tricky. She <laughs> was
0: in uh Stakeout and yep. Shortcuts yeah. and uh what was the movie right before this? Was it like Blink? I don't know. She was in some thriller. She's great. I don't know if she has like a fervent enough fan base for this, but if she has like a fan base like Jimmy Buffett has the parrot heads, <laughs> they should call them Stowaways. Oh, just,
3: that's good. Yeah. Yeah? Nice. I like it.
0: That's uh. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if she's that popular, but she's great.
3: I think we all just became stowaways. I think yeah. we, She's great in this movie. Yeah.
2: But she doesn't believe him, obviously. And he gets committed to a mental institution. Mm-hmm. And it's there that he meets this guy named Jeffrey Goines, played by the aforementioned sexiest man alive, Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is he's like a nine point five out of ten at this point because, you know, he's wiry. <laughs> he's like being really twitchy and manic. He's got like tufts of his hair pulled out mm-hmm. but he's basically he shows bruce willis around the place sort of gives him the setup all while ranting about like consumerism and the environment and all that stuff sounding like a real crazy person or <laughs> somebody <laughs> who has a handle on what is happening in the world
0: <laughs> it is it is weird to see the like the <laughs> the guy who was just on the cover of people magazine for being the sexiest man alive like ranting about the the problems of consumerism
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: It's like I just paid five ninety nine for that magazine you were on. Are <laughs> you telling me I'm an asshole for it? <laughs>
3: but wow. you are so right. Like when I was watching it, I was everything he's saying. We've since come to know to be true. Like
2: mm-hmm. everything.
3: It's yeah. So
2: sad. Yeah. Yeah. But. He he needs to get out of this insane asylum, and so
0: is that the right? I don't think that's the right term. I mean, today. it's not the right term. Nuthouse? Neither
2: is mental institution. Well, so.
0: you, you, I think and you...
2: this wasn't this wouldn't be considered like a good place. No,
0: I, I think the right term is probably like mental health facility. But yeah. this is basically a dungeon in yeah. which they've thrown all that's, these people. That's why
3: we can call it like the Nuthouse, house right? because <laughs> it's like this imagination of what that would be like. Yeah, and yeah. it's also like a very like
2: Terry Gilliam esque sort of situation so it's not just that like well and to like give him a little bit of credit I do think that there is like a lot of humanity in the way that he portrays the people there but at the same time they are like kind of like you know stock caricatures
3: it's a condition of mental divergence
1: I find myself on the planet Ogo part of an intellectual elite preparing to subjugate the barbarian hordes on Pluto. But even though this is a totally convincing reality for me in every way, nevertheless, Ogo is actually a construct of my psyche. I am mentally divergent
0: in that I am escaping certain unnamed realities. They are, but I also think, like, as kind of cartoonish as it is, I think the way he films it and the way it's portrayed is meant to, like, For us, the audience members, to feel the kind of... The burden and the the mishandling of these patients. For sure. So, yeah, I don't think it's as as dated as you might initially suspect. No. No. And it
3: really reminded me of that scene in The Fisher King, too, where they're in the hospital. And uh, everyone's trying to get attention and trying to get help and no one is getting helped. Scanted angles. You feel for the people. You're like, oh, you shouldn't be here. You should be being helped in some way.
0: And even the Brad Pitt character who's like, you know, in the movie, quote unquote, crazy, is like you said – Making valid points about <laughs> yeah, about, sure. about the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah, and yeah, he might have some mental health struggles, but that doesn't discount what he has to say. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it seems like the people that they have playing the, um they're kind of captors, quote unquote. Yeah, they orderlies. Have, yeah, have the most like anger management issues out of anyone in that ward.
0: Well,
2: that's also like a Stock know, kind character. of a cliche. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's the nurse ratched thing. Yeah, or yeah, but yeah, but so he, Brad Pitt helps him attempt to escape, but he gets recaptured and he's sort of put into this cell, but he disappears.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: Mm. straight through the walls
2: straight through the walls and the Riddler can't even figure out where he went (laughs) Frank Gorshin (laughs) that's pretty good he plays the doctor
0: you know I didn't know if you guys I put that as one of the trivia things for later I didn't know if you guys would recognize him oh
3: I didn't recognize him at all that's great (laughs) which
0: is funny that it's the Riddler because in the scenes that he's in in the hospital or not not necessarily the ones he's in but in the hospital he's overseeing is shot entirely with canted angles like the Batman show
2: right Um, yeah, he's he's creepy. I have a
0: Frank Gorshin story. Do you want to hear it?
2: Yeah,
0: go ahead. I met Frank Gorshin. Good story. Good. Okay, nice. Let's move on. Well, no, I, I it's a slightly longer story. No, I, so no, I, I love the that we institutionalized <laughs> well, guys. It's JM, I'm from the future, <laughs> 1996. Uh, I. I uh, Was a big fan of the Batman show, and as a kid, I went to go see Frank Gorshin. He's dead now, but Mm. he did a stand-up show at Yuck Yucks in Toronto. (laughs) And it was like a straight... Because he was a comedian before he got the Batman gig. Right. And he just came in and did, like, literally his act from, like, 1964. (laughs) It was a very old school.
2: What's the deal with Albert Schweitzer?
0: <laughs> no, well, he's, an, he's an impressionist. So he's doing his impressions, but they're all like, you know, Kirk Douglas this one's and Bert, Albert Schweitzer, <laughs> no, Bert Lancaster and cool. all, all these guys. And it was like, it was great. It was, he was amazing. And it was just, you know, it was this kind of, uh, just perfectly, <laughs> perfectly imported from the 1960s act. Wow. The kind of thing you'd probably see in the, in the Vegas strip, you know, yeah. smoking and drinking <laughs> copiously. But, that was great. I didn't get to meet him then. But then years later, I went to uh, this like kind of like nostalgia show. Before like Comic-Cons were so right, crazy right. big, they'd have – they probably still have these kinds of things. But it was like a nostalgia show where people went in. They sold comic books and old toys and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was literally in an elementary school gym, also in Toronto. Very sad, very depressing, not crowded. Yep. And the special guest was Frank Gorshin. <laughs> and he – Sat up there on this, uh, on the little stage where, you know, most days of the week the principal of the <laughs> elementary school oh is, God. you know, telling kids not to poop in the hallways or whatever.
3: <laughs> I have a way I want this story to end and I really hope it ends.
0: Well, I, so I, it was really depressing and I went up there. And, uh, you know, Frank, I don't even think he was like looking us in the eyes. He just I, like had an eight by tens of the Riddler and eight by tens of his appearance on Star Trek. Mm. And he, he was like, I wish you won Star Trek or the Riddler. And you know, <laughs> he was just signing it for people. I don't even think there was a lineup to, to <laughs> oh, meet him. And we met him and uh, uh, I was with my dad and we said, you know, we went and we saw you do stand up, you know, five years ago or whatever it was and he looked up and you could tell he just lit up completely Hmm. he was like oh really like what did you think like he he came to life when he (laughs) was talking about stand up and was so I think touched that we uh had been fans of his comedy and just didn't want to sign an 8x10 of <laughs> whoever that alien from Star Trek was. Right. So, yeah. You like me
3: for for me? Yeah.
0: But he seemed like a sweet man. As man. Yeah. Oh, so, that's awesome. good. Yeah. I thought
3: you were going to say that he just did the same act again. <laughs> like, like verbatim. No. no that's no. the only thing he's ever done in front of a crowd.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a good story. Yeah, yeah that's he's an great story. in this.
2: So then he gets, he's back in the future, mm-hmm. and um, they're not exactly happy with his performance. So,
3: because yeah. he didn't call in, he didn't leave a message on this like answering machine that he was supposed to leave a message on. Well, because they think he that went he did back. leave a message. Yeah. It's just
2: that t- it's taken him a long time to put it back together. So they play right. him this message, this strange message. Yeah, and um, he decides to convince them to like send him back. Right. So they do. They put him in like the little the little tube, and uh, <laughs> squeeze they squeeze him out. They squeeze. They squeeze him into the
3: past. <laughs>
2: And they, they say that it's going to be more accurate this time, but immediately after they say that, he shows up in World War One.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a real funny joke in the middle of this movie for no reason.
0: Yeah. Oh, I kind of yeah. love that like – well, for one thing, I wouldn't trust anyone to like send me to the past, especially not like some weird shambolic future government. Yeah, sure. But also you imagine like – because it's not set in that – Far away of future. Set in mm-hmm. 2035, the resources are somewhat diminished. So, like, of course their time travel would be yeah. sloppy. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love that they keep sending him to the wrong time. Me too.
2: I, I like that. Yeah. So he's there briefly and then he disappears. And then the next thing we see is Madeline Stowe. Uh, Catherine, she's giving a lecture about prophecies and the Cassandra effect, mm-hmm. which is the thing where you tell the future and nobody believes you, right? Yeah. And she talks about this guy in World War I who it turns out is we know is Bruce Willis. Right. Yeah. Mm. And she even and she even gets a visit from David Morris, yeah. you who know, comes to see her after her talk. Mm-hmm. But immediately after that she's kidnapped.
3: Yeah. She had a big fan of hers in the back seat. stowaway. stowaway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: One of her stowaways got too uh, <laughs> enthusiastic and uh, pretends to have a gun and uh, kidnaps her. And this, mm. is of course, is James Cole is the Bruce mm. Willis character. And she recognizes him from before. And I should also mention that she says that she, she thought he was familiar the first time that, uh,
3: that she saw him. Right. right. He remembers him from something, but not not sure where.
0: Yeah. It was probably Die Hard with a Vengeance, which came out <laughs> just a few months before oh, that. Shit, you're Bruce Willis?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bruce Willis was going through a tough time. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know he was making a movie. <laughs> but, yeah, he kidnaps her and he forces her to, like, drive, I think, to Philadelphia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. he's trying to track down the 12 Monkeys. Yeah. And all the while,
0: like— Did he... we even mention the 12 Monkeys yet? No. That seems like an oversight in well, a, and a movie called to. Twelve Monkeys.
2: <laughs> I mean, the, we don't know quite what the Twelve Monkeys thing is, like, at first. like we. But
0: he sees the sign in that first scene, no? That's right.
2: And he says yeah. we, there's a spray-painted picture of the red monkey and a sign that says, we did it. Mm-hmm. And so he wants See, to See, tra- if you watch
0: that movie now, you'd just be like, oh, it's probably a Banksy. It's, it's probably not a clue. Yeah,
2: that's a piece of art. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's an advertisement. <laughs> but— He's, he's sent back with the explicit mission from the message, the message that they made him listen to, mm-hmm. that he's supposed to find out where the 12 monkeys are and stop the sort of thing from happening. Right. That's his mission. Yeah.
3: So that's why he's going to Philadelphia to track them down. That's right. And he discovers that, like, Brad Pitt is the leader of the 12 monkeys, right?
1: That's
3: yeah. What he that's discovers right. pretty fast.
2: And even that he.
3: Gave him
2: the idea for wiping out humanity when he was, like, he was talking about things, he was watching TV, yeah. and he says, you know, maybe mankind deserves to be wiped out. Right. And yeah. then Brad Pitt's like, that's a great idea.
3: <laughs> I only get my ideas from Bruce Willis's. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for this.
0: I just want access to the pure virus. Virus? Yes, for the future. I need to know where it is and exactly what it is. Ah, I get it. I see what you're up to. It's your old plan,
2: isn't it? No. <laughs> plan? Well, you're you're talking, what, what plan? What plan? know what you're talking about. What plan? Yes, you do. We were in the day room watching television, and you were all upset about the desecration of the planet, which I understand. But then you said to me, wouldn't it be great if there was a germ or a virus that would wipe out all of mankind no, and you, like the animals on the trees? That no, so you're just trying funny, to confuse me. So no. funny. And I told you my father was this famous virologist, and you said, hey, he can make a germ, and we can steal it. <laughs> <laughs> go,
0: go, 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 go. Well, there's also this weird... Scene I wanted to get your guys' opinion of when, after he kidnaps Madeline Stowe, after they figure out that Jeffrey is behind the 12 Monkeys, they go to his dad's mansion where he's having a party. Uh, right. play, played by previous sexiest man alive, Christopher Plummer.
2: Yeah,
3: 1994. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and he's a... <laughs> I don't know if he was a sexiest man. Yeah. He's the sexiest man in our hearts.
3: Yeah. yeah, oh, for sure. But And he plays like this top virologist around the world, right? He's like right. working with viruses. So yeah. he's probably in on this whole end of the world thing. Yeah, we see all the pieces coming together. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, and they go to find him and there's this kind of, there's this weird edit where Bruce Willis is basically attacking Madeline Stowe. And I, I looked it up a lot of, or at least a few places got even reviews at the time thought that it was implied that he sexually assaulted her in that moment. Yeah. Cause he says like, Oh, you smell so good. And then basically grabs her and then it cuts. To right. the we're, mansion.
3: Well, I think we're meant to think that he murdered her or did something horrible to her. And then, you know, when he comes, because there's even in the I mean, the you house, put her in the
2: trunk. It's pretty horrible.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Time out. But he puts her in the trunk. But like, we don't know that. We think something maybe horrible happened to her. And then we see the news uh, thing in the kitchen where someone over the news is saying that maybe the body, potentially the body of... Her Madeline Stowe is found in a park, so we're like, oh, he murdered her. He is crazy. I think that's what it's supposed to be. So when he opens the trunk, we're supposed to be like, oh, he didn't do anything to her. He just put her in the trunk, like because all of that was fake. It's so weird because
2: I don't think that that character would murder that woman for a second. Like no. that would be such like you know that would be such a, a left field play.
3: Yeah, I also, I don't think we're meant to believe that he would force himself on her either, like through what we know of his character and what we've, <laughs> the signs we've been given.
2: I would hope it's so. surprising
3: that, uh, Terry Gilliam doesn't, uh,
2: oh, God. yeah, <laughs> you know,
0: know the difference. Maybe we should address the uh, elephant running wild through the streets. Uh, <laughs> Terry Gilliam is uh, has kind of been putting his foot in his mouth lately oh in God. interviews. Uh, I don't remember exactly what he said. He called me Too a witch hunt, and he's yeah. kind of making fun of like uh, identity politics in an awkward old man way. Yeah,
2: it's really. I mean. It's disappointing, obviously, because I do think he's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Right. And also because of his connection to Monty Python, you know. Yeah. I have so many, like, you know, great, beloved memories. So that you want I s- him on
3: the right side of history.
2: I want him on the right side of history. Yeah. I, you know, and there are lots of cranks in Monty Python. John Cleese is kind of a crank. Eric Idle's kind of a greedy old crank. Mm-hmm. Michael Palin's nice, yeah, <laughs> but I met him too. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Actually,
0: I, and I met uh, Terry Gilliam, and he was lovely, but uh, <laughs> no, <he's> like, <laughs> doesn't excuse the things he said. Obviously, me too
2: is bullcrap. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what are you talking about? It's two thousand and three. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you saying that?
3: I've come from the
2: future to <laughs> yeah, tell you. Right. God yeah, damn it. It's just it sucks. It's really disappointing. And I mean, you know, like Terry Gilliam also. I think because of his acerbic nature, like, he's the guy who, you know, he fought the studios with Brazil. He was, like, fighting to get his movies made and to do it his way and to, like, you know, make films that were imaginative and surreal and, like, not formulaic. And uh, it sucks because, A, the movies he's made since, you know, recently haven't been great. And B, he's uh, a dick.
0: (laughs) I remember when the time I met him was at a screening of Brazil. Oh. and uh, the singer from uh, Metric was sitting behind me, <laughs> and during the Q&A portion, she asked, like, oh, it's such a bold movie. Like, did the studio not have any problem with it? <laughs> and, and everyone kind of laughed, and he was like, oh, you, do you not know this story? And she was like, no. So he was like, oh, okay. So And then he kind of went into the whole thing because, I mean, there have been, like, books written about the, yeah. the you know the various cuts and and notes he had to deal with on that movie.
3: Well, yeah. Some of the behind the scenes of this movie is that he was so afraid to work with Universal again because of Brazil. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He had to like – so many people had to sign so many pieces of paper to give him final cut on this movie.
0: Yeah. Which is kind of amazing that it happened at all. Definitely. Uh, based on based on that crazy thing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but I mean thankfully it's it's sort of perfect material for him and it's really great. You know, this is one of the things – does he usually write his own scripts? I can't remember. He
0: did up until uh, The Fisher King. Yeah. That was the first thing he directed that he hadn't written.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, this is like just such a perfect fit for his material. And there's not too much Terry Gilliam-esque-ness in it, but just like the right amount. Yeah. 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 Sure. But that said, yeah, it doesn't make it easy watching the parts with uh, women because <laughs> uh, he, yeah, I just don't think he's great with women. You know, even in this, yeah. like, even though Madeline Stowe is so great, there is like... There is sometimes like the sense like she is like an object to be won or something like, you know, like, yeah, like Bruce like Willis is point. going to like kiss her, you know, yeah. or yeah, they're going to get together at some point.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I But I think Madeline Stowe kind of shines through all that. She's kind of the the eye of this hurricane of madness in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like whenever she's on screen, I can take a little a little breather and enjoy the movie sometimes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> hashtag stowaway. Yeah, <laughs> stowaway.
3: But- all through this, there's been, like, a
2: media thing happening, a media event. It is Little Timmy, I think his name is, mm-hmm. has been uh, stuck in a well. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's a big thing. We sort of follow it from moment to moment. And Bruce Willis's character, he even, like, you know, refers to it. And he tells Madeline Stowe that, in the end, it's a prank, that the boy was hiding in a barn mm-hmm. and that he was safe the whole time. Right. And she doesn't believe it until after the kidnapping ordeal is over, after they've gone to see the FAA, which is the precursor group to the 12 Monkeys and and found out about Jeffrey Mm Goins' attachment to it and all of that stuff. She is – so much stuff happens, but she (laughs) is free and she's like talking to her friends and they're like – Oh, yeah, they found that boy. He was hiding in a barn. It was a prank the whole time. And so this is really interesting because up until this point, she hasn't believed him Mm -hmm. about the time travel and – he has slowly been accepting the point that like the guy in the asylum tells him, not the asylum, the mental health facility <laughs> tells him that he is having a divergent experience right. that he he very succinctly and eloquently talks about his problems, that he sort of believes this, but it's a problem. And, you know, until he gets himself right, he'll st- still have these hallucinations or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so Bruce Willis's character, Cole, hasn't hasn't bought into this, but he's slowly starting to. And, you know, after like being sent back, I mean, he, all he wants is to be in this place, which is like normalcy, which he is starting to believe is the place that is not a hallucination. Mm-hmm. He flips. And so he thinks that he's having a divergent Insane, experience. Yeah. And she is saying, no, you were Right. Yeah. You were right about because, the future. It is all going to end if we don't do something.
3: Because the kind of the final nail in the coffin, too, is that that uh, cook from Wet Hot American Summer phones her up and is like, oh, I, <laughs> I, I, we yeah. found this bullet from the First World War. And oh, like,
2: yeah, that's right. For Maloney. Stabler. Yeah, for Maloney. <laughs> Stabler does some of his classic
0: victim empathy. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Special victim. Yes. The other thing the movie does really cleverly, I think, is not only does Bruce Willis start to – Doubt the reality of the future, but the movie, the way it depicts the future, becomes very surreal. So even as an audience member, you kind of start to doubt its reality.
3: Yeah, I read that that's what Terry Gilliam wanted to do was to be like this could be a time travel story or this could be a story about mental illness. Like it could be either one. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah, which is not true because you ignore happens- the
0: photograph from World War One <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly, <laughs>
3: exactly, and everything that happens from then well, on out.
2: No, but there are like. You know,
3: every once in a while you see a photograph
2: or a painting that looks, like, exactly like somebody. That's like, true. That, like, right. There's, like, Grand Greta Thunberg. Empire, yeah. Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Keanu Reeves. I, there's a painting of, like, you know, Isaac sacrificing his son that looks exactly like my brother Kenny mm. and his neck's being cut. Really? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah. Oh.
3: <laughs> Whenever you, like, were angry at him, did you slip <laughs> that
2: picture under his door? I just start painting. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, but, I mean,
2: the future, as they depict it, is really strange. Like, there's this, like, panel of doctor scientists. There's, yeah. like, this weird, like, media ball thing with all these screens on it. Mm-hmm. The time travel device is, like, a see-through tube.
0: <laughs> you laugh, but in 15 years, we're all going to be watching media balls. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be how we consume entertainment. Wow, well, yeah. <laughs> so we should probably, like, get to the ending, because the, the ending's a big thing. We... When we finally get to this – well, they go to the movies. Yeah. They go she to dyes the... her hair because she's out in, in 18 Hitchcock movies. <laughs> That's
2: right. And, yeah, they're they're going to go to the airport to stop – Yeah, Brad Pitt. From... To stop Brad Pitt. Mm. And while he's there, Cole realizes that this dream that he's been having that we've been seeing throughout the, mo- the movie of the guy being shot in the airport, he realizes that this is the moment that it's not a dream, that it's a memory.
3: Yeah and That's um a great realization I love that kind of flip
1: I know this place airports all look the same this is my dream oh <laughs> you must it's not just my dream I was actually
0: here remember now I it's like about a week or two before the before everyone started dying
1: oh. Oh. Careful. They might be looking for us. I was here.
0: They've
2: also figured out that Brad Pitt was not the source of the toxin. Because while they're in the taxi to the airport, the taxi driver tells them that the people who released all the animals were the 12 monkeys. And that's what they were
3: referring to with the we did it. So the taxi driver is like this short woman with beret, and I I just wanted to know so much about her. Yeah, she's (laughs) amazing. I want a whole other spin-off movie just about her. That's not what the
0: uh, Amazon series is about? (laughs) Yeah, but yeah. so they really should have been more specific with that uh, street art.
3: Yeah. <laughs> what did they do? <laughs> we yeah. released the animals, yeah. not this other thing. <laughs> or any it. other thing. And by it we mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so Bruce Willis gets shot in front of himself. Madeline Stowe realizes it like, oh. They realize that it's um, it
2: was
0: David Morris is the uh, – yeah. The creepy virus guy.
2: Yeah, because he works with Christopher Plummer Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, and he's releasing the virus. And yeah, and it all happens, like just like happens exactly like in his memory. He's running. He has the gun. He tries to – gets prepared to shoot and then he gets shot and he dies. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. And – that's the end of the movie.
0: Well, and then uh, there's the, the scene with uh, the woman from the future. What's her name? Jones, she says. That's right. And uh, she, she sits next to David Morris because you kind of realize that uh, that they can't change anything about the future. That it's all kind of set in stone and the only thing they can do is learn as much about the virus as possible. Well, they
3: were trying to get a sample of the virus. Yeah. Which is why they're like e- he's eating bugs and stuff to take them back to the future to try to get some of that – sample of of the virus right and so yeah, yeah so she says she's talking to the guy and she says she works in insurance mm-hmm. uh-huh. now some people I, I went online some people think this is a coincidence that this is like irony of all ironies she was beside this guy the whole yeah. time and that she, in the future she should have realized that she was beside this guy in wait the plane. what yeah some people think that And then other people think, no, she was also returned to the past after they got all this information and she's there to get infected to take it back to the future to like – because everyone's immune in the future. So she can at least – Get it the the first strain and then they can synthesize like an That's antidote. That's what I assumed. Or yeah. she could
0: just pick his brain and be like, "Hey, how exactly does that virus work?" Or kidnap right. him and bring him back to the future and oh torture my God. him until yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. secure. Yeah. I was I was a bit confused about that. Like I didn't know whether like because they send Bruce Willis to kill him, so yeah. I thought maybe when she was saying that she's insurance that she was going to commit the killing herself but then the virus wouldn't spread the same way
0: wait they don't they don't send bruce willis to kill him do they but that guy well, gives him a gun yeah. exactly so they do kind of but send i want i thought i kind of read that as almost like they know that he has to die future. yeah so that's but he doesn't
3: have to
2: die unless they unless they yeah. make him die
3: it's so interesting i, I I've, I've been reading up on um like time travel theories and stuff and people think that if you know we went back and changed something. It would kind of ricochet back and forth, like recursively, until it kind of went back to normal. Like there would be echoes of the things we changed, but less and less until it like kind of returned to normalcy after all. So you could never really change. You could think you changed the, the future, but you never really would. So this kind of feels like it's in one of those bounce back moments where like, it kind of changed the future, but it's normalizing again. Like you, they, they couldn't fully change it. It's like it.
2: when you pluck the string on a guitar.
3: Right. The reverberation. String theory. <laughs> we're so high right now, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: Guitar, harmonica, the return of Bruno. <laughs>
3: all fits. <laughs> it works. It works.
0: Okay. We're going to be right back after a few messages. We're going to have some trivia, some behind the scenes stuff. Stick around. We're back on Rewatchability. We're talking about 12 Monkeys. Uh,
2: sorry, did we disinfect these microphones? Oh, my God.
3: <laughs> we No, we definitely did not.
0: <gasps> <laughs> Just immediately dies. That's You know, that's why uh, Steven Tyler has all those rags on his <laughs> microphone. To be, he's constantly wiping them for germs. <laughs> God. Okay, so we have some behind-the-scenes stuff. Blaine, you and I both prepared some trivia questions, yeah. why, why don't you go first? With
3: some? So, uh, so let's let Rob do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I have, I have some questions. Okay. Um, I, you guys are so much more clever than me when it comes to movies, so you'll answer these pretty easily. There are two movies where Bruce Willis might have already read this, <laughs> travels back in time and meets a younger version of himself. What are those movies?
0: Oh, come on! Well, I, I had a sort of different variation of the same oh, question. Great. Okay. great. Okay. Well, what was yours? Mine is, there are Excluding this movie, there are three movies oh. where Bruce Willis interacts with his past self. Okay. Can you name those three movies? Oh, my
2: God. Okay. Uh, one of them is for sure Looper. Yes. Yes. And then another one is for sure The Kid?
0: Disney's The Kid. Disney's <laughs> The Kid. <laughs> uh, what yeah, the I can't think of the third one. one? This one's kind of a trick. Okay. I mean... It's partly a trick because no one saw this movie because it's dumb. <laughs> but it's not a time travel movie. Okay. If that helps.
3: So how, so how does he interact with himself in the past if it's not time travel?
0: It is a movie called Surrogates. Oh.
1: oh she has like I a robot version of his
0: younger self. I've
3: seen that? Have I, I seen that? I made someone else watch that for me. I think I've seen it. <laughs> what? As a surrogate. Oh. God, I remember God that. God damn it, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not a great movie. No. Okay.
2: Yeah, that was, like, okay, cool. that was like some very early uh, de-aging technology. Oh, Yeah, yeah. it was rough. <laughs> it was not great.
0: Scorsese is like, uh, not ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> I will improve that by 4%. <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay. So uh, the song Blueberry Hill – is in this movie. Mm-hmm. The scientists yes. sing it in this movie, also. Mm-hmm. And it was written in 1940, but is best remembered for its version by Fats Domino, released in 1956. But what world famous person revitalized its popularity in 2010?
0: I didn't know that happened. Wait, what?
3: There's a person that we all know the full name of, very famous person, that sang this
1: Blueberry Hill.
3: Blueberry Hill, in front of a bunch of other famous people. And it became like a meme, and it, it be, went viral. It became a meme, and it's a person with three names. Well, no, two names.
0: <laughs> was it like Obama or something?
3: Oh, that's close. Was Politician that Stephen Don't, Harper. No, what, <laughs> Donald Trump. Uh, oh, even closer, because <laughs> it was Vladimir Putin.
1: Oh, oh my God!
3: <laughs> yeah, the funniest thing. Watching the video, maybe we'll put up on Facebook or something. Watch it's. First of all. The lyrics are changed because
2: it's like, this person lost my thrill and he will be disappeared.
3: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) When you find all of us suicided with one bullet in the back of our heads. Blueberry Hill is the name of a gulag. Yeah. (laughs) Getting his kicks. Yeah, no, he sang it. It's not. Great. there's like an echo effect on his voice I think someone else is singing I don't know of course yes. and then it, it pans from him singing it like he's not enjoying himself at all like stone faced to Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn both laughing and clapping <laughs> along it's like the weirdest fucking thing
2: oh my god Oh wow.
3: yeah it That's wasn't crazy. like it wasn't just for him it was a, uh, a fundraiser for, for ill children which is probably why those celebrities were there but uh, it just, just makes me feel weird yeah. by the way like if
0: uh, no new re- rewatchability comes on your feed next week it's because uh,
3: (laughs) (laughs) they slip palladium in our
0: coffees. (laughs) Uh, Do you have another question?
3: I do, I do. So Brad Pitt was nominated for his role in this film for Best Supporting Actor. He lost to Kevin Spacey in Usual Suspects. That didn't Mm -hmm. age well, Academy. It didn't age well. Brad Pitt has since been nominated five times for an (whistles) Academy Award um, and he's won twice. What were his two wins for?
0: Well, I do know this. Yeah, because he, he won this, this year. year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he won literally weeks ago. Best Supporting Actor, yeah, for Once Upon a Time. And for other, his abs, I think. The I think other example. time he won, I believe, was as a producer, right? It was. For 12 Years a Slave.
3: Yes. Oh. And that's that's, the, that's <laughs> the time he was nominated, too, for the big short, I think, as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, that was a movie which he
0: produced and gave himself a role in as the one nice white guy. <laughs> I'll be the one guy that, like, helps free uh, Solomon. Dude,
2: I'm not casting myself as a slave owner. That shit will stick with me. I want to be sexiest man alive again.
3: (laughs) Yeah. That's what you can do if you're a
0: producer. Right. I have one other question that we haven't uh, covered. Okay. And that is an actor from the last movie we talked about, Last Action Hero. Okay. Someone in that movie appears in the 12 Monkeys TV show. Who do you know who that is?
3: Arnold, fucking Schwarzenegger. <laughs> no. Okay, damn, I was uh, wrong. Strong, right?
2: Say, uh, Mercedes Rule. Oh no. Oh, okay.
0: It, it is. You're all you're done guessing.
2: <laughs> yeah, Austin O'Brien?
0: Tom Noonan.
2: Oh, oh. Tom Noonan. Uh, you got Noonan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's that's good, good. He plays some kind of. Shadowy character. I haven't seen it. (laughs) That's a long I watched the first episode once. Yeah, me too. I I hear it gets really good, but the first episode is... Kind of just a, a glossier, handsomer – not handsomer because Brad Pitt's in this, I guess. But, like, a, a <laughs> everyone looks more more bathed <laughs> than they do in the movie. But it's essentially the same story in that first episode. Yeah. But
2: it has, like, the same characters. Like, there's a James Cole and a Jeffrey yeah. Goines. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if
0: they have the same names. They,
3: they changed the name of Madeline Stowe's character to Cassandra because they really wanted so, to hit that wow. theme. A little bit more. I also, also realized,
0: Brad Pitt's character is a woman, I think, right? Oh, interesting.
3: Yeah, I, I can't remember it. I watched the pilot so long ago and and then watched half the second episode and was like, nope. Yeah. Um, it was filmed here in Toronto. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um,
2: so, yeah his name should, is
3: James Cole. The, I should yeah. give it another go. Mm. But I, I was just – the Cassandra thing is is about saying what is happening, people not believing you, or what will happen, people not believing yeah. you. Whereas like – the boy in the well is kind of the opposite of that. It's saying what did happen and a lot of people believing them, but it's not true.
0: Well, yeah. and Which that's really
2: –
3: that's really interesting. That's like the same thing as the movie where, where like everybody
2: thinks that the red monkeys – or sorry, the 12 monkeys <laughs> – Everyone well, just you just well, decide everyone to go to your, your website. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus.
0: It's uh, redmonkey.angelfire.tripod.com. If you don't like it? Oh, Fire. you've been
2: on my website. You must be one of the uh, visitors on the uh, counter. <laughs> you must be 102. <laughs> well, yeah, everybody thinks that the 12 monkeys are the ones who released the plague, but it wasn't the 12 monkeys, it was mm-hmm. this other guy. Yeah. So, that's kind of interesting. I mean, in right. terms of misinformation. Also, yeah. I've been thinking a lot about misinformation because of this whole thing that's happening with the coronavirus. And then I also just watched Chernobyl. Noble.
0: Okay, yeah. Cher Noble? Noble? Yeah. It's the
3: documentary about the
2: singer. It's
0: about, yeah. It's about how Cher- Noble Cher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: She had a big meltdown. down. Um,
2: wow. Yeah, anyway, scary. Scary times. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe in life after love after the apocalypse? Did you guys
0: ever watch La Jetée, the film upon which this is based? Didn't
2: it come with the special
3: edition of Twelve Monkeys? No. I thought thought it
0: did. Yeah, I thought it did. Maybe like a recent one, but like not back in the day.
3: Not back in the day. But yeah, like the special collector's edition, I think it came with. And i never I'm just a
0: regular collector. I don't I don't <laughs> yeah, let me have that. I don't oh, yeah.
3: know. Yeah, I'd
2: i would never remember. seen it. It's um, like it's a. it's still photographs. Mainly still
0: yeah. photographs. And it's yeah. like what? It's like twenty minutes long? There's like one part with movement. It's uh, yeah, it's about half an hour. Yeah. It's great. I remember like when I because I obviously hadn't seen it before this, and I don't think it was commercially available here. So I remember trying to go to like a screening of it at the Cinematheque, and it was mm-hmm. sold out. And i I didn't get to see it till I actually went to film school, and they had it in the library, I think, on film. So I oh, wow. borrowed Whoa. it and got to watch it. It was very exciting that I finally got to watch Tay. And then uh, over the course of film school, I probably watched it twenty goddamn times because so many <laughs> right. so many classes showed it. But I, I was initially very excited to watch mm. it, and uh, I, I was I was going to try to watch it because I have the there's a criterion blu-ray of it now with uh with San soleil i was gonna try to watch it again and of course i i didn't have time but Mm -hmm. uh it's a great movie yeah and yeah what i love about it is it's it's you know it's very simple story about like this guy who yeah has has seen his own death basically because of this time travel plot and I, i love how this movie just kind of builds on that very simple premise and makes it its own thing. Hmm. I read I looked up to see what Chris Marker the director thought of 12 Monkeys because I didn't know if he was like <laughs> shitty about it or if he he liked it and he uh yeah, he said he thought it was a magnificent film. And uh he was he thought it was just kind of its own yeah. Its own movie uh and he respected Terry Gilliam, so
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I it's, think it's good that they you know, the reference to Legite is not you know, minimized in any way. Like this movie, you know, like I feel like in all the sort of talk about it, it's like, yes, this is a adaptation remake, is inspired by
3: Legite, and, you know, even though it's its own thing. Right. It's interesting the inspired by because the Writers Guild was saying that was kind of a problem for them. It's something that they tripped over because – I think you don't have to pay someone uh, a lot of money if you say inspired by, right? But I think if it's this is based the first on, time, yeah, I think it might that, have been yeah. the first time they did that. Uh, but they got David and Janet Peoples to, to write right. the script, like a husband wife power yeah. duo, screenwriters who had been nominated for Academy Award for docu- documentaries. I think they won and, it, it won. Yeah, they probably yeah. And he wrote Blade Runner. Yeah, he wrote Blade Runner and Lady Hawk. Yeah. Uh, which is is just better than Blade Runner,
0: from what I remember. It's got more <laughs> Rutger Hauer. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah.
3: And Unforgiven. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So very, very strong writers, those two people. And, and they get and shows. They, they're,
0: yeah. And they said uh, they basically got hired to do this movie. It was yeah. like a producer really wanted to remake La Jetée. And they didn't want to do it because, the like I said, the short film is basically a perfect movie. But apparently, David People said in an interview, him and his wife, we say to each other, well, if they kidnapped our children and we had to write this in order to get our children back, what would we do? <laughs> that, that's how they came Jesus. up with the story like, of wow. 12 Monkeys.
2: Yeah. I, I'm going to think of that next time I have a writing assignment or yeah. something.
3: <laughs> but it's the same reason why – what's his name? He always writes uh, – Damon Lindelof did Watchmen, right? Because he – said, he, he, children were kidnapped, but he loves it in, in a way, because, the Watchman was his childhood; was the way right. he connected to his dad, and what got him into the business in the first place. And to watch it fall into someone else's hands, who might do it worse, might harm his. You like, say his name, Zack Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah. Then you know that that gave him pain. So it's almost like his children were kidnapped, and he was writing to get them back because it's you know for for them, if it's a perfect right. movie for them, if they love La Jete, then giving it to some like it's probably well, going to be made though. anyway. It was
2: a, it was an assignment. They just didn't want to
3: like you know. Do a worse movie <laughs> true but they probably didn't want anyone else to fuck it up either so and it was in good hands they're they're great writers yeah and it shows this movie was was great and even the original uh writer director of la Jetée liked it yeah so and uh, it all worked out.
0: brad pitt like you said was oscar nominated for this mm-hmm. i remember at the time like people that were like a little older than me maybe it was people i read or or you know older siblings of friends kind of thing were just were kind of wrote him off as being just an impression of Dennis Hopper in Apocalypse Now. What? Which I didn't get because I didn't see that movie till a few years later. Sure. But I looked it up and he basically admitted it. He said when he was making this oh. movie, he locked himself in an apartment to try and get in the headspace of the character and just kind of focus on doing the work of, of figuring out what his performance would look like. And he said part of it was he was watching anything from Dennis Hopper trying to find the voice of the movie well that's cool so yeah, it works he straight yeah. up admitted he uh that's great. he was doing a, a dennis hopper thing yeah. no, I, I think it works
2: yeah also, i mean he's, he's like he's amazing i think in this movie and like even like he, his eyes doing something weird when he's in the
3: mental institution yeah i don't know yeah i don't know how they did that i don't know whether it's just like something that he did that he has control over yeah. one eye it's he weird Move him independently but that was yeah that was pretty cool
2: yeah, but he's like
3: totally committed to, mm-hmm. uh, to the role, and a lot of people took pay cuts on this movie to make this movie because they just wanted to work with Terry Gilliam. Yeah, yeah. which shows you how how things have changed. Because <laughs> I'm sure people are less <laughs> less likely to take a pay cut uh, and more raise to work with him now. But, well I mean,
0: he's still I, his most recent movie had Adam Driver. Yeah, who's you know he's like one of the most beloved actors working.
2: Yeah, sure. but he's also in everything. I don't That's think true. he knows how to say no. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Terry, I'm pretty busy. I got Marriage Story and Star Wars. <laughs> It'll only take nine months. I,
3: I am a famous art house director. You must do
2: what I say. <laughs> <laughs> I'll scream. I'll throw a tantrum.
3: Uh, yeah, and the alternate casting, because Terry Gilliam wanted uh, Jeff Bridges because he just worked with him in right. the Fisher okay. King. So he wanted him to play the Bruce Willis role. And they were like, no, nah, we don't want Jeff Bridges. We want a bigger name that will attract people to watch this movie. So they, he went for Bruce Willis, who had auditioned for Jeff Bridges' role in The Fisher King. Oh. And was, and was he went with Jeff Bridges then. But I find it weird because then the studio is like, oh, you only get this much money, and you you have to kind of convince Bruce Willis to do it for nothing. And so Terry Gilliam <laughs> had to go to Bruce Willis and be like, you're the only one that can do this. And then a week later be like – Take a massive pay cut. I love the return of Bruno. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Bruce Willis said that uh, he would not get paid until it came out in theaters. Nice. Yeah. I mean,
2: he's great in this as well. I really yeah. love his performance. He's so solid. playing damaged and vulnerable. Yeah. And, like, he really sort of conveys, I think, what the feeling of being in a different time would be. Like,
3: he's. So
2: yeah, the, the
0: scene where he hears the radio, the song on the radio, Blueberry Hill, yeah. like, and he gets emotional.
3: He's great. Oh, man. The tears welling is, uh, Yeah, I think great. it's great. I read
2: that Gilliam gave him the part because he saw the scene in Die Hard where he's taking out the glass from
3: his feet while right. talking about his wife. Yeah, and, and he was like, that's a great scene. Good writing in that scene. He's like, oh, I ad-libbed it. He's like, oh, you're the man for me. <laughs>
0: so. I did it all. I directed it too. How did you direct? I did. I- <laughs> you're like Hans, I played him. <laughs> I'll say whatever you I- want me to say. I know you didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I totally forgot about this until you were talking about casting. I remember like when I rented the DVD, probably the last time I watched this years ago, there is a feature-length doc about the making of this movie, and I remember right. – I don't remember much from that, but I do remember at one point they're, when they're shooting the the airport scene, like the big pivotal scene in the movie, he uh, fires the kid. Actor. Yes! I remember that too! Did you, did you see that? Yeah! Yeah, it was,
2: it was like – Oh, he's not working out.
0: Yeah, he wasn't like – it wasn't that the kid was bad. It was just like they got on set and he, he was – Terry Gilliam was just playing. like – it's not – he doesn't have the right look.
3: Right. And it, it was – Apparently, he, like, kind of clammed up because he was a kid on major movie set for the first maybe. time, too. I,
0: it seemed like he was, like, pretty sensitive about it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I do know, like, you know, Sarah Pauly famously yeah. called him out for – not having a good time on the Baron Munchausen set, right. but it did seem like he, he kind of went up to the kid and it's like, it's nothing you're doing, but it's just like, <laughs> you know, we just, I just have a different vision for this. We just need to go another way. And then, yeah, like the crew had to be like, bring in the other kid. <laughs> yeah. He had <laughs> another <laughs> kid in the he background. Kid. Yeah. Uh, the same day he had another kid. So, uh, yeah. But I remember that being like a really awkward, imagine like being on the set of the movie and being yeah. like a little kid. I wonder where and... that kid is now. I don't know.
2: Probably watched himself die. <laughs> what?
0: I don't know. <laughs> like in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> okay.
3: That seemed really like
0: morose otherwise, a little morbid. <laughs> if we're talking about the, you know, rewatching it now versus when we watched it as kids, one of the biggest and most obvious things about the movie now is the the very heavy-handed Jesus-y implications of the movie. Oh. Because... Cole's initials are JC. Mm-hmm. That's oh, a, that's always a tip off. <laughs> and his the, his whole story is about having this kind of like predetermined death, right? That he does to to sacrifice himself for uh, for the good of humanity.
3: Yeah, and also like the soapbox thing of like every crazy person throughout time that has been like, "Hey, the end is coming." Has been a time traveler that just didn't work out.
1: Yeah, yeah. From well, this, yeah, is
3: what they're kind of saying in this movie.
0: Yeah, and also even just like the idea of like. You know humanity and and the apocalypse being kind of visited upon humanity because of our sins. Like they mm-hmm. they do kind of right do kind of emphasize that that we're not just getting this virus for no reason. It's it's because of of all the things. Multiple characters espouse in the movie the uh you know and and especially the, the way the environment is being treated, which is more relevant now than than even it was back in ninety five. Sadly, will continue to be more relevant forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But they're even saying, like, like, they really, uh, yeah, they underscore the, the apocalypse stuff with, like, Madeline Stowe mentions Book of Revelation and, right. and everything in her lecture. <laughs> and, uh, and people point to the end where the Christmas decorations basically solidify the fact that the future is not going to change. And that's, right. that's visualized in the form of that angel being, right. being raised into place in the department store. Which and, is, yeah, like an, like an angel of, of doom and apocalypse. And yeah, but the, the angel, angel was
3: kind of, of strapped into this backboard. They were lifting it up by straps and I think the eyes were shut, like covered by that. It strap, reminds me of that Walter Benjamin essay. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Oh, no. The Angel
2: of History or something like that. He no. only sees backwards at his destruction oh that's it's really
3: interesting, interesting. that's really cool. I don't know I read about it in grad school, yeah, it <laughs> uh, sounds like a grad school thing to read about,
0: and also twelve monkeys, twelve apostles, yeah, oh, for sure for sure I don't know I, I think there's there. something there I just say Madeline some,
2: Stowe's like Mary magdalene
0: i did someone did say that <laughs> i look i i there's no one source to credit because I saw multiple two people talking about i mean once you say maybe it 's
2: Jesus, you can just like you know you can read anything into it, really, yeah. but it does yeah, those parallels definitely work.
0: Was there like a Bible story where Jesus ripped out people's teeth?
2: <laughs> uh, John four twenty one. Jesus got baked on some bad shit. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was like dipped in formaldehyde. I don't know.
0: <laughs> and while we're talking about symbolism in the movie, I did see someone pointed out online that the the beds in the in the hospital where they sleep are kind of arranged in a circle like the 12 Monkeys logo.
3: Mm. Mm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that
0: is a bit interesting.
3: Or a clock. But only a bit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you have any other behind-the-scenes stuff?
3: There was a lawsuit?
0: Oh, right, yes.
3: Yeah. Architect Lebius Woods, which, first of all, Fucking great name, yeah. That's 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 a prime name. He sued over that chair and orb that was in the movie, right? Yeah. Because it uh, it was kind of it's taken my orb. from <laughs> it's my orb. Give me the orb from one of his pieces called Neo Mechanical Opportunity. So, so cha- I don't know. It, it's from that work, seminal work that everyone knows about. And, um, he, uh, he
0: won. It'd be almost insulting for you to name exactly what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, I don't we're want all to. all so familiar.
3: Yes, you know. exactly. I mean, you could go ahead and. I'm, no, I don't want to get sued. Okay. <laughs> so he, uh, he, he won the lawsuit and the next step for the studio was to take the scene out of the movie. And then he was like, or, You could pay me a very high six figure sum, and they were like, done. And
2: it
0: was great. Back
3: up the dump truck of money. He did well,
1: which
0: historically marked the first time that an artist made money. (laughs) (laughs) This movie is famous
3: for a bunch of reasons. It's great.
0: We
2: also didn't talk about the marketing campaign for this movie. Did you guys know about that? Yeah,
0: Universal released a bunch of animals from <laughs> zoos.
2: <laughs> no, but they it was like one of the first viral marketing campaigns. Like they put a bunch of – they spray-painted a bunch of monkey signs all over like Los Angeles or something like that. And they really sort of like primed the world, the United States, whatever, for this movie. And then when it came out – Everybody was like, oh, this is what the monkeys are about. Right. It's a mm-hmm. movie. But it was a very effective technique for the movie and I think, you know, played into its success. And, you know, it is noted as one of the first times that that sort of like outside marketing or, uh, you know, I guess like the sort of almost pre Blair Witch. Is this like something that's really happening right, or yeah, is yeah. it for a movie? Um, yeah, that's where that sort of came from. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
3: There's also echoes of this movie in other movies with the actors that kind of echo them. To explain, the Bruce Willis says to at one point, "All I see are dead people." Oh, uh, and, and his he, name
0: is Cole, and the kid's name is Cole, and the kid's and name is movie. Cole. Oh. And then
3: that movie, you know, uh, Sixth Sense takes pra- place in Philadelphia, so it's, it's, it's kind of
0: weird. And uh, Brad Pitt produced Twelve Years a Slave, Twelve Monkeys. Both <laughs> <There> movies <you go. laughs> so so, start with twelve. When you yeah. you know the, next to each other on the. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the there's sword. also
3: Twelve Angry Men. Could be in front of that, and and Brad Pitt does this whole monologue in Fight Club about like how the world will be taken over once the apocalypse happens, and he's like talking about the animals stalking through the streets of and monkeys uh, and monkeys climbing yeah. the mm-hmm. the bridges and stuff. So I don't know. There's some weird echoes throughout moviedom in this movie. Yeah,
0: and uh, the coronavirus was created by Christopher Plummer <laughs> <laughs> on the set of Knives. Damn and- you, Plummer!
2: He wouldn't do that. No, not that. He's our us. greatest Canadian. Yeah, I'm sorry.
0: Well, what did you guys think? Was it rewatchable, Blaine?
3: Hands down, yeah.
0: Okay, I'll put my hands down. Did you think it was rewatchable, Blaine?
3: <laughs> but I have a gun on you. Please put them <laughs> up. Uh, he doesn't have a gun. Uh, I don't have a gun. It was totally rewatchable. I love this movie. I think it's a, like even more genius now that I'm seeing – Like I, I, when I first saw it, or when I was remembering it, I was like, oh, like he only goes back one time. But the continuing to go back and him thinking he's insane and she realizing that he's not as a perfect crossover midpoint. It's just like a perfect script. Really well done. I, I love this movie. What about you, Rob?
2: Yeah, I loved it before and it felt so good to watch. I was like, you know, at the edge of the seat uh, the whole time even though obviously like I knew the twist I was still like very excited to see it sort of play out I think all the acting is amazing in this movie I really think it's probably Terry Gilliam's masterpiece mm-hmm. and I've just recently saw Brazil again and I think that's great um, and it's his most self-indulgent <laughs> and wonderful piece of cinema but this is like where you get to see Terry Gilliam actually do his best work you know right. and he, he has like just enough detachment from it that uh, he doesn't uh, fuck it <laughs> so I, I think it's a great movie. It's still one of my favorite movies. It's one of the most fascinating like stories. It comes together the best. I think it's great. What about mm. you, Jam?
0: Yeah, I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. I, and I don't mean that as an ins- insulting thing to say. It's just I, I remember really liking this movie, but it's not one. It's just one I kind of assumed was good and yeah. didn't always – feel like watching but you know taking another look at it really made me appreciate it and uh, and how even just how the structure of it is so unusual the way we go back and forth from the the future to the past to mm-hmm. yeah it's it's very unique and uh and there's some funny
3: parts in it too like we were talking about like oh we'll do it right this time and then he goes back <laughs> to World War One or right. when they see the cops and they're on the lamb and they turn around and they're on this huge jumbotron like yeah, in yeah, front yeah. of the police yeah uh, <laughs>
0: this is, yeah there's some funny moments yeah it has it has a sense of humor mm. to it which you know is not unusual for Gilliam movies mm-hmm. and it, yeah it makes me remember how much I like Terry Gilliam movies and how much I wish he would stop saying stupid shit. up, <laughs> <And I'm laughs> Cause yeah, it's, it's really a great movie. Well You know, the biggest thing for me in rewatching it, cause I haven't seen it in so long, like I said, is probably the fact that I've seen La Jetée so many times in the mm. interim. And it, one, one thing we didn't mention is the, uh, the Hitchcock connection. Cause Chris Marker is a big Hitchcock fan. There's a vertigo illusion in L'Agette. Right. And like, in Saint-Soleil, there's a whole segment where he goes to San Francisco and goes to the filming locations of Vertigo. So to actually, I guess because this was a Universal movie, you know, they were able to actually use footage from Vertigo right. in in that sequence where they go to the movie theater. Which, you know, it's it's just uh, it's just kind of perfect. And yeah, Circular It yeah, and made me appreciate it more. I, yeah. I think it just builds on the original as opposed Definitely. to taking anything away from it. Yeah, and yeah, I I really enjoyed watching it this time. It was great.
3: Great. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for listening. If you have any thoughts about the movie, you can always email us at uh, rewatchability at gmail.com or tweet at us at rewatchability. Mm-hmm. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Until We're, then.
3: Or we'll go to like geocities
2: dot <laughs> Yeah, you want to you
0: plug your website again? Yeah,
3: it's
2: <laughs> angelfire slash geocities slash redmonkey dot Jeff. <laughs> <laughs>